always, I always. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, well, let's start somewhere nice. Um, <laughs> well. Charlie Watts died today. I, I, he did, yeah. Uh, I saw the Rolling Stones in 1982, and. It was a very strange period for the Rolling Stones. They had, and I'm not exaggerating, they had more than 10 musicians on stage. Mm. And they, everyone except Charlie took nearly an hour to warm up on stage in front of 20,000 people. Wait, he was on stage warming up for an hour? Well, like, the band the band was performing. Oh, I right? see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, he was the only one that was ready from the... F- oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. The, 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 the lights came up and he dropped the bomb. Yeah. Um, he did have... Uh, it was a bit like seeing uh, Marcel Marceau, the, the mime. Yeah where you're watching a performer whose vocabulary of uh, go-tos are so cliched at this point that you're kind of like, oh, Jesus. But then you realize you're witnessing the icon. Like, you know, this isn't somebody copying like a, a, a Rolling Stones syncopation. This is Charlie Watts. (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, and the same thing happened. I saw Marcel Marceau and I'm thinking like, good God, this guy's like a lexicon of every cheesy mime move known to man. And but it's he like invented them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So yeah. so I, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, that that's, <laughs> that's an interesting paradox, isn't yeah. it? When did you see Marcel Marceau? He's so like he's vaudeville era, right? Like uh, vaudeville. He, <laughs> like, he was he was ancient. I saw yeah. him in the nineties. Wow. Um, he was at I think the Meyerhoff. And it, okay, wow. It, so it, it was, was classy. It wasn't like he was playing like some. Oh no no yeah. no! He was respected for exactly what he was. Yeah, you sure. Know? And I think Charlie Watts was too. Um, yeah, the 82 Stones tour, wow. I mean, so terrible. This is how bad it was. Mick Jagger was playing guitar. That's how bad it was. Interesting. Okay. Now, and you would hope that <laughs> you would hope that he just simply wore the guitar like like Bono or Elvis, yeah. you know, like I yeah, it eventually gets behind him. Exactly. Yeah. No, sir. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he played guitar the whole set? No, but for at least I would, uh, oh God, maybe three to five songs. But that was enough, man. That I mean, it's it's very interesting when you're adapted to a performer with or without a guitar, and then that is changed. Sure. Uh, well, plus someone who's so famous for their walk and the way that they move. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, <laughs> so. Lou Reed, for example, sure. y- you would think of him as a guitar player, but honestly, I saw him at least a half dozen times. He had the guitar technique of like maybe a, a teenager who just was 
fiddling around <laughs> with their older sibling's instrument or something. He stabbed at it. And I mean, once again, we're back to the iconic. But sure, yeah. Man, like he he was physically uncomfortable just with the ergonomics of the instrument. Interesting. Yeah, I've uh I don't know. I, I don't listen to Velvet Underground for their prowess, you know. It's like No, 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 no. But you you would think with a career that went on for that long, even if even if his um technical prowess was severely truncated, it would be Super automatic and natural. Sure, it was not <laughs> interesting. And and well, and Mick Jagger almost had the same thing where it's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> you you saw him in '82. I think I saw a video of Jagger playing guitar from like last year, from like quarantine. And has like, it gotten any better? I mean, he's just banging through it, you know. What right. I mean? So. <laughs> You know, but that obviously there's like how often are they actually practicing? You know, I'm sure he picks it up and down over the course of however. The insanity of it is if you're an iconic musician and you take away the guitar like uh, Rick Ocasek from the cars. Yeah. uh, I think I've seen one or two online uh, YouTube videos of him playing without a guitar and he attempts to dance. <laughs> Holy fuck. Is this like prime cars or is this like late way after the, way after the hits like kind of stuff? You know what I mean? I couldn't really place it. It's not early. It's yeah. definitely mid to late period cars. Uh-huh. And I guess he you know, wanted to, I, well, the car is always sort of pushed boundaries, particularly uh, Greg Hawks, the, the multi-instrumentalist keyboard player. Okay. He he was their secret weapon. I always thought it was Elliot Easton, but in, in, in retrospect, I think I was wrong because all of the real ear candy, the, you know, the cheesy monophonic synth hooks that are like... Oh my God! They're all over the first three records. That's him. Okay. And if and if you dig a little deeper and listen to, I think it's Chrome Whip, the the earlier incantation of most of the car members. Benjamin Ward's there. Rick is there. Greg is there. I don't think Elliot has come in yet. Um, Greg Hawks was playing uh, Fender Rhodes at that point. And, uh, holy God, I mean, the change in his keyboard style really just did it. That, that was the quantum leap for the cars. Um, so they were always trying new things. They were trying new equipment, you know, big on electronic drums, sequence synthesizers, the whole, you know, the whole myriad of, of at this point, 80s. Yeah, like the new shiny stuff. Yeah, new shiny shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Rick grew up in Baltimore and uh right off of uh uh Taylor Avenue. Like like you know Taylor and Lock Raven. 
kind of i yeah i, I want to say yes but I, i'm sure i passed it a bunch so like, yeah like the, the where the crack pot restaurant is there's a giant it's right before joppa going north on uh lock raven okay anyway if you go to the east towards harford there's a suburban neighborhood between Lock Raven and Harford on Taylor. Yeah. He grew up back there. And uh, if anyone listening knows the address of the house he grew up in, this is killing me because he's gone and it's not even like, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's not there anymore. Uh, I know that he went to a little Catholic junior high and maybe even a high school that's up there on Paring Parkway. Okay. I've, I've forgotten the name. I, I I just, I wonder if like somewhere in the school records, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, here he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually that, you know, with the, with private schools, I wonder if they are even aware that he, someone like that went off and did what they did, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I do know that. Or that they would downplay what it was. Like, yeah, he played music. It was some band. Like, I've heard, I think I've heard one of their songs. <laughs> like, the general area is called Hillendale. Yeah. And there used to be a music store there. And when I was in junior high and high school, it was like one of those music stores that I had that mystic experience of like, mm, boy, yeah, I'd started to play, but I didn't have any concept of like the difference between a Stratocaster and a Telecaster, I, you know, I'd, I'd have to look at the peg head or count the pickups to be able to tell the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I was at that point and this was probably the first place I ever saw a Marshall amplifier stack in the person where I could put my hand on it. Yeah. Because uh, once again, we're back to the iconic. These were things that I would see on stage at the Baltimore Civic Center behind Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, I don't know what you got to do to get one of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I still don't have one of those. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, I, I've had a lot of martial amps. I've probably had... Well, well over a dozen, I think. Wow. Okay. And they're heavy. They're, yeah. They're very heavy. And um, where you really appreciate the heaviness of equipment is when it falls on you. Um, <laughs> and then you realize what you thought was your friend can kill you. Yeah. It, it, you know, it. Um, I, I had a bad incident one night loading out of uh, a bar on Maryland Avenue called The Rev. And my uh, my bass player had been overserved that night. Okay. I don't I don't know who was bartending, but he was <laughs> he was severely overserved. You know who bartended at the Rev. <laughs> and uh, we were trying to negotiate this huge flight of stairs with an SVT cabinet. Yeah. And he was at the top holding the handle. Some of them actually had handles on the back. Yeah. And I was uh, at the bottom and we got about three steps down the staircase. And for whatever reason. So you're going down. We're you're, going down. Yeah, yeah. And it's two flights of stairs, but it's one long staircase, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. 
and and he might have tripped or seen something shiny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so oh no, the entire the entire thing is suddenly on top of me and. I'm laying on top of it and I'm riding down the staircase <laughs> at about 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and it, um, yeah, it hit the, hit the landing and I flew and hit the door. And of course the door opened inwards. So, you know, nothing broke, but that was, um, if it had kept coming it would have smashed me between the door and the and the svt cabinet oh, yeah, and what how much is an svt cabinet weigh i know the heads are 85 pounds okay i the, oh, man the the the, the I, I i can't place what the i i just always look at the ampeg fridge so i can't remember what well, that's what we're talking, oh, you're talking about the fridge okay, yeah i'm yeah. talking about the fridge that's yeah. the 810 <laughs> svt cabinet yeah yeah i think it's 125 <laughs> pounds it yeah. might be more <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It's your friend until it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, when you said some of them had handles, you're talking about the big silver one on the back. Yes, yeah. I am. That is exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. So. The, 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 the very, I'll, be, I'll be rolling those out this weekend. For, the yeah. very original <laughs> SVTs had two 8x10 cabinets with a piano hinge running down the center of them, and they folded together. Oh, interesting. I've seen large array version of that, but not like a amplifier. So. Well, that was yeah. that, that I think that was like 67. Okay. Um that lasted about 6 months and like Yeah, I was about to say cuz it really doesn't make it it, it it doesn't make it that much less cumbersome, really. Well, the truth of it is it's the same fate that uh the original Marshall stack had. You got to remember that Pete Townsend's roadies uh, revolted because <laughs> the original Jim Marshall Marshall stack was eight 12-inch speakers in one huge monolithic pylon <laughs> of death, and, and the and the roadies were like, no, no. And a number of those actually got cut in half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah. So you you got crushed and. I didn't get crushed. Uh, I, I yeah. mean, like I walked Mo away yeah. from, from this experience. Like everybody involved was kind of like, oh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Your obituary would have looked really neat. That uh -huh. would have been rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost went down backwards on a water slide. They would have said the same thing about me. Yes. It, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe acoustic music is is better. You know, it's it's safer. Well, in the latter years, yeah. Well, you know, even podcasting, I'm like, thank God, I just have a backpack, and I can like. <laughs> I, I yeah yeah. I'm not I'm not going to geek on my uh, you know. Uh, my my uh, knowledge of last century's uh, audio and absolute <laughs> disbelief and horror of everything that has happened since. I'm oh, kind of yeah, like, yeah. 
you know, you seem to have a digital recorder there about the size and shape of a, a Sony Walkman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Capable of 96K if I wanted to record like 30 minutes of high quality audio before the SD card was absorbed. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. You know, uh, I know some bands that only use like the solid state. Axe effects boxes basically for right. their for their live shows, you know. Just send that back to them in the wedges and they're they're good. They don't need the actual speakers. But I uh I I just can't relate. Yeah. I can't relate. Well look, like so this is I'm not trying to talk I'm not trying to uh argue pro digital because I like everything. But someone who doesn't own a ton of gear, like when it comes to say a Marshall stack, is it like the sp- is the speaker cab that much more special or is it really just about the head and whatever you end up putting that on is going to be like <laughs> the, the set, you know what I mean? It's like, are the Marshall tubes and, and, and the head way more the, the sound or is it like, man, you got to have a Marshall box or, uh, uh that, kinda that, like whatever well, you- that pulls a lot of, uh, interesting audio truths out of the, the bushes and the, <laughs> some of them are ugly. Okay. Um, I recording my own music. I, I owned a, uh, a 24 track two inch studio years ago and I would record my own music when we had downtime. Okay. Uh, yeah. And this would happen sporadically and strangely, at least for recording the, the, one of the real true neglected aspects of getting your tone isn't the gear you're using. Very often it's microphone selection and placement and the signal chain of audio gear after the fact. Uh, I found that I could, I owned a variety of Marshalls and I could get my tone out of all of them uh so much so that i uh, you know uh i'd record bits and pieces of music months and months apart and then when you put up all the the faders on the recording it sounded like i'd been playing one rig the whole time which of course annoyed me because you know i wanted to pretend there was there was you know like nuance happening no (laughs) there there really wasn't (laughs) yeah it's just slamming into it but yeah well no there was the there was a there was a tone in my head i wanted to hear and i mess usually with mic placement um and you know relatively arcane aspects of mic placement and selection phasing between mics uh it particularly you know it, it most 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 of the time people think of microphones either being in or out of phase well there's a lot of gray area there too you know <laughs> and um you get a comb filtering effect as things are partially out of phase. Right, like a, yeah. The, the a notch filter, sure. essentially. And yeah. it's what you find, particularly when you have more than one mic 
on something that is as live and resonant as the Marshall cabinet is, you're introducing comb filtering into the equation when you move microphones, because not only are they picking up different sounds, but they're shifting in and out of phase with each other. Mm-hmm. So it get you know it it gets very organic and complicated quick and it's about as far away from an axe effects <laughs> yeah. setup as you're gonna you know <laughs> sure. not to, not to dump on that I, I don't knock anything really if like you you know as because uh, I use a ton of digital stuff you know so I try yeah. it's like whatever ends up working but I understand what you mean where it's like the true like. I don't know what is it like it, it's like they're it, it's just like a true art I guess Our, art's not the right <laughs> word but like uh I can understand the difference between feeling like you like the effort to achieve something through like the various chain of events and then someone being like oh yeah I got this thing and I switched this knob and and now I have it this way you know well, and, um, and it's still in the and the digital version not being able to replicate that weird kind of you know. Oh yeah, like and I agree. Phys- physics nuance that you're talking about. So. I agree entirely because it it is a different thing. Yeah. You know, these are all you know uh, your 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 plugins, uh, digital plugins for mix down and stuff. They are not. It, it is funny because I'm pretty well versed with a lot of tonalities from vintage iconic recording gear. And like the digital plugins often sound nothing like the originals, but they're pretty cool anyway. They're their own deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, never, the, I, I never trust anything that's like says it's replicating the real deal because I'm just like, there's just no way. I've often held in great contempt the um, any sort of gear where it's like, oh, it, it's going to give you what you want. Because I, it just it seems like, well, is this what everybody else is doing? So so basically, my my tone will have no character, right? You know, and uh, I mean, who who wants to who wants to sound like cheese? I mean, unless it, it like you know, if you're recording, maybe if you're in a postmodern environment where like oh it's supposed to sound like cheesy guitar you know i mean it's almost like your voice like would you really want to sound like the singer in journey i mean why (laughs) you know he's doing a pretty good job of that all by himself there (laughs) i don't don't know (laughs) i yeah that's a good point um, these days, because even in the world of digital production, there's like an aspect of sound design and taking the the stock things or taking what you have available, you're tweaking the your color palette and you tweak them yeah. and you come up with something new or you, you run your unique combination of things. But just like back in the day where like the original like origins of hip hop or like the origins of sampling were to like take a drum break and combine it with something else and loop them back and forth. It's just it's getting way more uh, refined to the fact that the 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 samples are now like all your transient drum hits or like, you know, 
some note that you can spread ac- uh, across a, a sampler to get the you know the the spectrum like the tonal spectrum f- through this sound so like um there's uh like subscription services to basically like have access to like sample libraries to like then just basically drag and drop very high quality sounds into your sequence into your song and and just like you're saying where it's like where's the where's the unique aspect of things where's like you know because well it's certainly gotten a lot easier to sound pretty good that's what i mean is like there there's uh you don't have to work as hard to get things to sound like the way you imagined it or the way that you think it should sound in comparison to the records that inspired you to do that in the first place right if you're going in that direction it you've got you've kind of got a buffet of pretty usable tones. (laughs) The bittersweet thing though, is that there's people that like start to monetize the out of the box stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, they didn't really craft anything. They just put it all together. And it's like, this does bring up a number of very interesting issues that I think right now with music, um, we need to examine what our expectations and perceptions of the experience are really all about because <laughs> it's such a big question. <laughs> well, I, I, let me give you a go-to like, like I remember as a kid waiting all year for my favorite bands to release anything on, on, on vinyl or play a live show. And like, if you got a record and a tour in the same calendar year, that was like the best it could possibly be. You know, if that happened, you were grateful. Um, but music meant more because there was, there was less to do. Sure. Yeah. I actually, there, there was, there was not, um, Internet pornography and gaming, for example, there weren't idle distractions of self-gratification that I, I mean, quite frankly, if I had the technology that's available today as a teenager, there's no way I would have learned to play guitar. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would have had other priorities. The irony is it's infinitely easier to learn guitar now because of the resources, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But uh, but but the danger here is that you're going to play guitar like everybody else. And quite frankly, who needs to hear perfectly good music? The only <laughs> the, uh, I, I don't know this for sure. <laughs> Just. But the thrill, <laughs> the thrill of making love to a supermodel may be the pimples on their bum. And we're, we're, we're getting rid of that. And, you know, the, the imperfection in the world, what, what is the Japanese uh, for it? Um, oh, God, I've... Yeah, this Wabasabi, one. I think. Okay. Which basically, it, it you know, if you can make it through the haiku, the point of it is the true perfection is in the imperfection. That that is that is where things 
jump. They make the quantum leap through the screw ups, yeah. you know, and I've seen that in art all my life. <laughs> I kind of see what you mean. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm really, do you know anything about the band Bathory? <laughs> It's like very it's like one of the first black metal bands. Like, no, I, I, I can imagine it might be from the name, yes. <laughs> so they're from like the early eighties and they were like, you know, one of the bands that's credited with basically starting the genre of black metal. Like okay. The, the Norwegian, Scandinavian, like kind of stuff. And and Bathory's basically, I don't know how to say his name, and the, the true heads are gonna hate me, but his name is like like Cothorn or something like that. And he's like the, you know, he is the band. He is Bathory. Okay. So he like records everything and stuff. But like um, the records, like the the early stuff, you know, it, it's it's just all super lo-fi and shrill and and like just dirt, just gross. Like the recordings are, are just thin and nasty. The guitars sound terrible. Like if you were to think about what metal guitars are supposed to sound like, according to, I got you, you know, yeah, yeah. um, but you know, at the same time, the music somehow just has this energy to it. And like, there's just something about it. We're just like, this is cool. And then he stylistically started to shift, you know, being from being black metal, it was all super satanic, you know, like uh, Judeo-Christian imagery, like but like Satanism. And then he would then his whole kick was like, well, I don't even want to use these like this image anymore. I want to go past Christianity and go like so that's when he started talking about Odin and like, you know, he starts getting into Norwegian mythology and stuff like this. And eventually like basically starts the the genre of uh viking metal which is much more of like epic sounding and the the arrangements are way less like you know thrash and stuff but um <laughs> still the recordings on on um uh, the, the imperfections yeah, define like the, the genre name of the uh the, what is the album a find find it a die that might be the name of the album as well but like it was it was sort of this moment where he's doing that stylistic shift of going from like we're kind of a thrash band into a more kind of you know mid tempo kind of epic sound and uh, but still yeah like the when those when the first guitars come in it's like you can almost hear the preamps on the board like clipping <laughs> clipping out you yeah, know what I mean yeah, and, and yeah. like it's just every it's like weirdly in your face in the wrong way and you're just sort of like. But at the same time, the, the the song is there in a weird way. You're still just like, even yeah. if this sounds bad, I'm still kind no, of on, I, on board, you I, know? I, it, well, <laughs> you know, the, the other thing uh, about that, that, that early uh, black metal stuff that people, you know, not only did it occasionally sound bad, but it always smelled bad. <laughs> I had a friend named Danny who toured with King Diamond. Okay, yeah, another like that's Merciful Fate is like OG as far as that goes. And <laughs> I asked him how the tour went, and he's like, "Oh my God, those guys smell so bad. They eat this fish, this <laughs> this fermented fish. Um, you know, like like maybe it's smoked." Maybe it's rotten. I don't think it's it's that uh, fermented shark, which uh, I did ask someone uh, from 
well, they weren't uh, Norway. They were from Finland. I asked them about the the fermented fish delicacy. Yeah. And she was, <laughs> she's, I, I, she's like, oh yeah, boy, I know, I, I know all about that. You know, as a teenager, people would bring cans of it to to beer parties. Yeah. And at least half a dozen young men would like it was always the guys who would you know go at it yeah but the the fermented shark would um well you know do pretty much what you think eating a can of rotten fish might do they'd all end up you know <laughs> outside vomiting um yeah i don't know but anyway um my buddy Danny said they ate so much of this fish that when they went out on stage, the fish oil would sort of percolate through their sweat. Yeah. And uh, and <laughs> and he said it was ungodly. It was just ungodly. Yeah. A lot of bands, particularly bands um, like mid-level rock bands that wear, I don't want to say costume, but for example... Yeah, how many pairs of leather pants can you own? Well, leather is a big problem. <laughs> yeah. Um I I wore um plastic snakeskin pants once on stage and nearly passed out because I had cooked the bottom half of my body like like basically parboiled <laughs> my lower extremities. Yeah. Probably an effective um homemade birth control uh, technique. Um, I had so much sweat in my shoes. They were like, it was like I'd been walking through rain or something. It was like squish, squish, squish. squish. I don't French foot. (laughs) But anyway, all those, all those early eighties new wave bands that wore suits, they would tour, oh, right. but they could not afford yeah, dry cleaning or dry clean. They had no time for it. Yeah. So they would stink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the it, neck smelled terrible. <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, the squeeze, the British band, oh, the oh, squeeze. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, I worked uh, with their management for years and, you know, that was the big joke. It was like, he didn't want to get into the van with the van because they stunk so bad. Interesting. Wow. The um the last time I saw the upper crust, they had it uh, um they had adopted a, a similar uh technique of well see a well, plate wearing a uniform or well they, you know they if you're familiar with the upper crust they I'm not yeah. You're not? not. Oh, 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 my Lord, are you in for a treat? Yeah, it's like, I was going to ask after you finished your part of the story, but I was like, what is, I've never heard of them. They sound like ACDC, okay. and, and they look like foppish. Um, are they Australian? No, they're, okay. they're, they're, I believe they're from Boston. Gotcha. One of the guys was like Bill Clinton's speechwriter for a hot minute. Okay. They 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 dress up as English lords and uh, uh, countrymen, uh, um, powdered wigs. Oh wow! The whole Elizabethan presentation, and and here's here's art in, influenced by reality, influenced by art. They um, 
the last time I saw them, they, they, they have extremely grandiose Elizabethan formal wear on, but they've been wearing this on stage all tour. Yeah. So they stink. <laughs> and uh, Lord, Lord Bendover, the, uh, the bass player. <laughs> okay. They sound like yeah. Lord Bendover sounds like you play in Guar more than. I uh, it 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 it's it's a different aesthetic, but it's similar in its like. Where did you guys get this from? Okay. You know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, he had a perfume atomizer. One of one of the little perfumes. Yes. Just, yeah. The yes, and he walked in front of the band going. With the perfume as the band walked into the room, it was a good thing he did because <laughs> they stunk yeah. like a dog's ass. Uh-huh. I mean, they were like, I mean, like, like this like, is them walking on stage. Or yes. Is, okay. Yes. What, uh, is this a club? Or yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I believe that this particular show, um, uh, a band I was in called Broad opened for them at. Uh, Baltimore club from the '90s called Chambers. Okay, yeah, um, I'm not familiar. Ab- absolutely. Um, if you if you're unfamiliar with the Upper Crust, look them up. Yeah, I will. <laughs> We're gonna have to check them out after this. I'm like, who who are they? <laughs> well, I I I, I I I mean, another aside here would be that that they uh, for me personally, watching them not become superstars sort of cooled my jets as far as releasing records on my own record label because I, I really honestly had a a complete cathartic moment where I, I went, oh my God, if, if something this genius, talented, and exceptional is being unrecognized in the marketplace, I don't have a chance. Like my my ideas, just can't find an audience. And at that point, I I backed away from releasing records because, you know, if if the upper crust couldn't become superstars, what could? And evidently, who? Uh, I mean, like, who would you name their class? Like, who is their peer bands? You know what I mean? Like, where where would they fit in that that would have prevented them. Who who made it? Who's who succeeded instead of them? Yeah, that's a very good question. I don't really have a. Are like, they in the world of like? I, I guess. I mean, with a name like uh, Lord Bendover, it makes me think that they're tongue in cheek. They're well, not like. I mean, are they like a big star style band? Or are they like? No. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, no. I'm no. Trying it, to think of like. I mean, it sounded more. Like ACDC. Oh, like, yeah, you did uh, mention that. Okay. I mean, it is, it is <clears throat> kind of like, is it butthead music? Is it kind of like, or like making fun of that? You know what I mean? It is, it is a perfect marriage of deadly serious intent with, um, enough self-awareness to, to, to know how stupid and funny the whole thing is. Interesting. Um, which music that has that, I mean, like if, if you can bring anything humorous to rock, it's a win. Um, 
And it, it doesn't need to be ha ha funny. Yeah. It, it can be like Devo, you know, sure. I, I think a lot of people misunder in. I, well, I got to ask you, what is your perception of the band Devo? I think Devo's cool. I really do. Okay. Like, I think genuinely they're interesting. Something about their. They just they sound cool to me. They're, they they have a they have a cool energy. But this is coming from someone who's kind of like retroactively like knowing David Bowie discovered them and put them on and like, you know what I mean? Like I have all this context that helps me go Devo's cool. Um, I think there's a narrative. Yeah. And I could see where like a lot of people only know Devo for Whip It. And like when you think of them for that song, you're never going to really take them seriously because it just seems like it's a. It's almost like that song was made for commercials, so that band can't even be real because that song is really only made to sell like products. If I if I had um wow, we, it, it's like we're looking through uh, But I know that they're way cooler than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean you do, you do, but it does it startles me that there are a lot of people who Think about a band like the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, like... I'd rather not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Sorry. Maybe that's... uh, (laughs) Did you know that that PETA actually... (laughs) They actually tried to get them to change their name to something like Animal Rescue (laughs) Boys. I'm not kidding. No, and I'm not trying to... I'm not comparing them in the same... Like, they're not as cool as Devo, but I feel like they're misunderstood. But maybe... maybe Oh, they're misunderstood. Maybe they're perfectly understood, according to you. (laughs) So, Um, you're like, no, they fit in their... their, their, They uh, fit in their hole (laughs) and give me the shovel. No, no. See, oh, this is... (laughs) Well, what are your other uh, musical influences? <laughs> oh, yeah, How about yeah. Orange Juice? Do you remember them? No, I don't know them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. They were terrible. They were oh, terrible. No. <laughs> Perhaps you're a fan uh, of the band Japan. I don't. I'm not as familiar. Oh, yeah, no, oh no. my <laughs> no, God. So, oh. I'm still embarrassed. I'm glad I don't know these other ones. You're... <laughs> happy to chortle on but i'm like i'm i'm sitting here like oh yeah devo just like the pet shop boys i'm still i'm not gonna let that one go no no. for a second i was like i gotta edit that out and then i was like no you can't you can't you just have to go with it no the the beauty of what you're bringing is that (laughs) your awareness of of the band and, and their artistic center sure is you heard them in commercial yeah it's outside of people like the general public's perception of it yeah which is astounding to me yeah. because D- Devo would like in, in the 70s yeah. when Duty Now for the Future dropped that that record ended friendships like I can very well remember oh you mean a bunch of people that liked Zeppelin and then all of a sudden it was like some did like this and some didn't because <laughs> Saturday Night Live was this huge musical event every other week they had bands on yeah and they had the b-52s on okay first i believe that was the very first snl band no 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 okay before devo and i think i I see what you're saying i think i have the 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 sequence correct and i remember 
I, I thought the B-52s were unbelievably cool. And I remember my my high school clique was was split. Like half of them were like, eh, I kind of see what it's doing, but it's kind of funny and I, I don't know. Yeah. And then within a month or two, Devo came on. And that was where the rubber met the road. Yeah, it was the- because I watched that performance with three or four of my friends and suddenly I was like, "Oh my god, that is that is sheer, sheer genius." And they're looking at me like <laughs> you know, like really. Huh. <laughs> So, so you know, they 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 kind of looked at me like like um, yeah that 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 was it. Like a number of these guys just yeah. looked at me and went, uh, "No, no, that's not that's not that is so not cool that you we're not going to hang out with you anymore." Yeah, wow. <laughs> and you know that's how that was. That's how important music was at that point in time. I, I had a similar situation. It was just different context. With the pet shop boys? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no! No, nah, it's okay. No, I. I mean, I'll, like you know, this this will place me. This will place me perfectly. But you know, growing up, uh, getting like you know, becoming a young high school pothead and then getting into music. It's like you know. Metal, like guitar centric music, of course. So Jimi Hendrix and Metallica, and you know, but a lot of a lot of metal stuff. I like Alice in Chains and um, Pantera, White Zombie. So I had a clique of friends, and we all sort of had this sort of central, like shared music that we like. You know, so it was like, okay, we all we all like the the eighties thrash, and we all like this stuff. But and what was it? What? what who? No, you're just you, you'll think it's interesting, but it's like, you know, bands like Caius, the Melvins and COC, those that, bands, when I started getting into them and being like, this is I think this is good shit. They would like say was all, like rip off, like, you know, basically they were just like, this sucks or like this, you know. But they, they How could they disparage any of the three bands you mentioned? They, they were getting into like, well, this is what we were. Well, they were getting into a band called Alter Bridge. Oh, oh, and another, oh, and, Stinkfest! And, and another band called Trivium. Alter Bridge is the Creed. I I know yeah, yeah. what Alter Bridge okay, might good. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and, you know, and, you and know, Trivium is like revivalist thrash metal. I have recently found God, and I'd like to talk all about <laughs> this to you right now. <laughs> so I, they I, didn't even get into it for the Christian like layers of it. They, they got into it for, for the musical for, for the, stink? For the, for the music, yeah. Oh, so when I, when I start showing them Stoner Witch and being like, I think this is cool, they were like, this sucks. And then they're showing, you know, and how I, could they How could they go from Caius to They didn't like Caius. I would they show didn't. Them, oh. I would show them Caius uh, and they'd be like, nah, we... Blues this, for the Red yeah, Sun, well, yeah, the only record that the, mattered. The, the first, I, I, so I wanted to get Blues for the Red Sun as my first Caius record, but when I went to record in Tape Traders on West Street in Annapolis, the only one they had was Wretch, which yeah, is... Well, yeah. It's the yeah. first one. Yeah. It's not the stoner 
metal sound that people know nowadays, but it, it like it's close. Man, it's, 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 the I beginning mean, of what's about to happen. That's <laughs> that's so cool. But I would show them that album, and like, there's a couple times where John Garcia does do some Hetfield impressions. I'm not gonna like sit there and defend that, but like, basically, they were like, "This is some Metallica wannabe bullshit." Oh my god! And I'm showing them like, dude, listen to Stage Three. This song's awesome with the phaser on the lead guitar the whole time and it it sounds like an airplane going like and I'm just like this is so cool and they're like it sucks this is kind of a far out I stopped being friends with them this this, this, this is kind of a far out reference (laughs) that few people will click with but um, saying that that Caius is a wannabe Metallica yeah. It's like saying the upper crust is a wannabe Jethro Tull. <laughs> it is like so, <laughs> it's so profoundly wrong minded. Yeah, yeah. It misses the point mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, oh my God. <laughs> Just, and I know this is like, you know, that, that whole exchange probably, that, that we're talking 2005, 2006. So there's just, it's so, like I know, you know, you're saying about the like albums being more important and stuff. Like there was a time when I would still have to go to the store to buy the music that I wanted to hear, oh, but it God. was like, you know, it was the end of that for sure. I think the last album I, I one of the last ones I did potentially buy in the store was when uh, Metallica came out with Death Magnetic. That's 2008. I'm pretty sure. And this is like, you know, I'm still young enough and still like want to believe that like when people say Metallica's back, you're like, well, let's let's see if that's true. You know, so I did see a picture of um, my old drummer from Reptile House. Yeah. London May. Uh huh. And um he he played in Sam Hain on. Uh, oh, cool. Uh November coming something. Um, yeah. You, you know the one I mean, right? <laughs> I just know the band. I don't know. November their, coming their fire. I think the title of it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm like reaching. If so, that's so, in- inaccurate. I know th- that's close to the title of the record. Danzig's still in the band? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 This is pre-Danzig. Oh, okay. Well, no, I just so they, Sam Hain to me is a Danzig band, right? Or is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's what it, it it's it's the step over band between the Misfits no, no, and Danzig. I, I know what you're saying the Danzig band, but I'm saying the Glenn like, Danzig. He was in the band Sam Hain with your friend. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> Lars, it, the the picture is Lars getting uh, London to uh, autograph. November coming fire uh, for him, which oh, was yeah, kind yeah. of a classy move, yeah, you know, yeah. since, um, yeah, I don't know. It's an, imp- you know, it, it's neat when your music matters to anybody, but if, sure. but if your music registers with somebody who has chops, be they, uh, musical or music business, or at least somebody who knows, Somebody yeah. that we could call an expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, it, that's cool. Right. And th- that uh, I'm certain that was very gratifying for London. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I. Uh, All, the, the only people asking me for autographs um, uh, are policemen. No, <laughs> um, no, no. It, um, it, that that stuff matters when you think about like the famous bands that would wear other bands' T-shirts. Like the the diehards do the research. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, a matter of fact, the um, the cult. In one of the um, videos for the album Electric, yeah, uh, one of the members is wearing a Sam Hain T-shirt, right? And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, Rick, I, Rick Rubin was messing with all these bands, and that Rick Rubin actually had um, uh, what was at that point Sam Hain come into Electric Lady and watch him working with. Uh, the cult really and he very strangely the cults shift from southern death cult era uh chorus guitar kind of uh neo almost neo psychedelic right um okay to you know straight up crunchy guitar rock um i believe that's because of what Rick Rubin brought to the the artistic development of the band. Yeah. He forced them to play all of the songs in their repertoire for the album in three or four different genres. One of them being hard rock. Interesting. So he, he would have them play their song in different styles? Yes. Wow. And you can only believe how absolutely overwhelming that is for yeah. musicians who've been you know locked into <laughs> what they do yeah but that's why you got electric out of the cult yeah and suddenly they became a stadium filling band oh uh, man i always get so rick rubin is someone who um I don't know. When I think of someone like him, I can understand how like he, him as he can walk into a room. He's he's got a sense of like good song arrangement or like, you know, and he's got a sense of what's triggering him to be like, this is good. This is bad. But does does he play music? Is he a musician himself or is he really just like I don't believe he 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 he. Uh I don't think they're great musical chops there if there's any musical ability at all. But what he brings yeah. is strategy and thinking. And that, particularly um, in a genre as tired and worn out as rock and roll, can be sure. unbelievably he, He's also catalytic. succeeded in hip-hop, too. Of like, course. You know, of it's, course, yeah. it's crazy. He's just like that kind of like interesting character. Um but I, mean, I do appreciate that someone that can come in, they're outside of the, 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 the creation enough that they can sit there and hear it and be like, Hey, like, have you guys thought about this yet? You know, or something, you know, it's, it's <laughs> one of the strategies and roles that producers can bring, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's to be quite frank, it's almost a Brian Eno thing yeah. where you're, you're making people think and not just play because music, particularly rock becomes muscle memory automatic. Yeah. And that can be wonderful if you're Malcolm Young or terrible 
if you're Alter Bridge, right? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> like you made it sound like a person, Alter Bridge. Like, hi, Alter, Alter Bridge, well, nice to meet you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, oh, back to me finding God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you were serious. <laughs> well, I found God. Okay. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found this device. Uh-huh. To make a grilled cheese sandwich that burns the face of Jesus Christ onto the toast. It does of the not. Sa- it does. It's a panini press for Christ. It, it is available on Amazon <laughs> right fucking now. People used to gather in mass when they would see the Virgin Mary on a piece of toast. Now you can just get it off the internet. This is awful. Well, it's great because a part <laughs> of the recipe is you gouge out Jesus's eyes and put little bits of pimento in there. Oh. oh! I see. I- <laughs> and his halo is made out of the rest of the olive. Oh, I was gonna use uh, I was gonna use the uh, the the yellow part of the egg. You know, you kind of figure out a way to like you know eggs in a basket. So you do like an egg in a basket, and and the halo is the egg rounding over your your Jesus oh crust. Oh my god! Yeah, cheese. Jesus crust. Yeah. Gee, I, you know, I'm not kidding. <laughs> that is exactly the phrase that I went with. <laughs> Jesus crust. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, when you're making a grilled cheese and the cheese hits the griddle and it burns a little bit (laughs) and it becomes this other thing. Yes. This thing you don't know. It's a blend of cheese and grease and something. It's usually brown or black, but it's delicious. There is a French proper noun for that. Really? Yes. Wow. It, it like is a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I made, uh, this begins is begins with a C. It's like cruise some cruet. <laughs> I, I'm uh, guessing. Yeah. Completely guessing, but leave it to the French. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> years ago, I remember making at my mother's house. This is like, I was much heavier back then, but I was making pancakes in the kitchen and I was discovering how the butter was like, crisping the edges of my pancake in this, oh, yeah. this way. I just, but like, it got to a point where I was just like, I, you know, it, it wasn't just like, oh, like a little bit is a little crispy. I was like, how crispy can it get? So, oh. so I started like basically, you know, applying butter as a strategy to get this thing like, you know, literally like the edges of my, of my pancake were like getting holes in them with these little like, just like these crusty, almost, I don't know, like, uh, like <laughs> almost like a pizzelle. Do you know what a pizzelle is? Like those little tiny flat, like cake things. Anyway, it doesn't, I think I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean the, the, the simple <laughs> event of caramelizing sugar yeah. produces like 150 some compounds. Oh, now some of them are wow. in the the dicetyl range. Okay. Dicetyl being the yummy, toasty, buttery flavor yeah. from from food that has been partially burnt or toasted. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like borderline carcinogen. Well, that is that is a thing. Yes, <laughs> that is the thing. And once again, we 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 have something to talk to Jesus about. <laughs> yeah. Why do you make things that taste good 
kill me, right? right? Yeah. Like, that doesn't seem fair. Are yeah. you a benevolent God no, or not? I, literally, my mom walked in on me making this pancake, and she was like, Jesus, John, like, you need that like you need another hole in your head. <laughs> and you said, could I put, could I put <laughs> pancakes into that <laughs> hole? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hook it up, Mom! So. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that, I don't know. I forget what inspired that. Oh, yeah, you were talking about cheeses crusts. Where it's, and, uh, what, you, know. it, it, you went there. Yeah. It's not me. <laughs> Just, I'm a believer, you know. I like to really express my love of... of I'm not mocking our, our, <laughs> our savior. No, no, never, yeah. He, he's there for everyone uh, in times of trouble. Our, our savior, Jesus yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It, does it seem that I don't have enough patience for other people? Um, Not when they don't evolve. That's that's absolutely fair. I would say you've had a perfect amount of patience this this evening because uh, we we've already. Uh, yeah, I think we're we've officially hit the mark. So basically, now we're just in like free form. Well, why don't we take a break you know? and eat? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Uh, I, we could take a break or this could just be it. We've hit an hour. So. Oh, I, geez. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Is that Gouda for you? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm actually perfectly fine with this conversation. I was like, this is great. Like I, uh, I, I often, when, when things get, uh, when things slow down, I have to self-reference the fact that we're recording a show. You know what I mean? I have to be like, Oh yeah, we're, yep. Here we are doing, doing the show, recording the thing. Didn't come up. Well, I, I hope I didn't waste any of your, uh, <laughs> of, of your memory card with just, no, this isn't a waste at all. I was actually there, thinking about it. There, like, you know, because, like, obviously there's some people that may be interested in hearing you talk about music or the history of or music. Or placement. Or things like that. But you know mic what? Placement. We talk about cheese. We when talk you about, point the yeah. diaphragm of the microphone <laughs> flat at, yeah. at the, the cone of the speaker, you get more low end. And you, you double that with, with proximity effect, yeah, right? Yeah, So you can... You were actually dialing in your low end by mic placement. And I know that really bored almost everybody listening. That's okay. But for like one person out there, they're like, they're going to try that next week. They're going to mic up a guitar rig and they're going to go, oh my God, there's the low end. (laughs) I didn't know where it was. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. You know. Um, there was like a one, there was a very short moment years ago when I was toying with the idea of making a podcast that it would be an audio engineer podcast of sorts. But, uh, <laughs> I went to the wayside very fast when I realized I had like five guests in mind. No, I just, uh, no, no it's just, uh, I think I got jaded <laughs> very quickly after that. So it was like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. And so... <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I have to I have to announce to you that most of your brethren are kind of prickly beasts. Yeah, you know, I know. Audio engineers can be like, oh, it's a good thing you're not talking because you're snide when you do talk. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm doing the so I'm going to Shadowwoods this weekend. I'm hanging with Mike Franklin, Carlos, uh, 
I love those guys. Please say hello for me. Absolutely. Mike Walls. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he he's another fantastic local musician, engineer. But my goal, I've told Mike uh, Franklin about this. My goal is to potentially try and do a powwow uh, podcast recording with all of them like after day one. But this obviously requires wrangling and 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 who's in the right mood and blah, blah, blah. But we'll see, because like if I could record an episode out there after schlepping and hearing a bunch of bands I've never heard before, then that that would be awesome. So uh, but we'll see. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty ambitious. I know. Um <laughs> I don't think it's too ambitious, you know. It's, it's one. Now, are you just? Are, like, are you like mixing? Uh, no, the- I, my guess is like if I, my guess is essentially I'll just be jumping between stages, if at all. I might just be hanging out at at Franklin's stage. Are they going to have like stage managers involved, or are you going to be like? Uh, are, we've are, we've handled it basically pretty well, like you know. So if Mike and Carlos are at one stage, me and Mike are at another, and. um you know, while one stage is going off, the other band's rolling in, telling us what they need. We're doing a quick sound check. So it should be. Uh, I, I honestly think that like the band changeovers and all of that wear out audio engineers so quick. Yeah, it can wear you. It's it's just funny because like. Yeah, you know when, when I, you think about a metal band, all of a sudden when when a band shows up and they're like, "Hey, yeah, we have in ear monitors," you're just like, "What the fuck?" Like, yeah. no one else needed this shit. Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you just <laughs> yeah, they, they, but I, yeah. I, I have a drum trigger. Can like, and you're just like, "Oh mm, yeah," ah, like mm, yeah, why? Yeah. Or, or or okay, one song in the set <laughs> has sequenced keyboards yeah, in yeah. it. So to, um, you know, uh, <laughs> we. <laughs> We this, need we need to chase some MIDI. Yeah, and, this and, does remind me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a uh, so like there was a a Scandinavian black metal <laughs> Scandinavian black metal style band because they were like by way of New York uh, played uh, one of these fests a few years ago and uh, <laughs> and you know they're this band like they're all proficient they're do they all can play their guitars bass and drums but they just so happen to have that like cradle of filth operatic orchestral backing tracks to accompany their full band and um, I just remember like you know you're you're setting all that stuff up you're doing the best you can with a band you've never heard before to get all the stuff that they need and as soon as they start playing they're the girlfriend slash manager, like I'm not mixing. I'm not on the board. I'm sitting there next to the guy that's on the board, but like they come over and they're just like literally have to yell into, into my ear because it's a metal show and just being like, where's this? Where's that? It sounds like shit. Like where the fuck is all their stuff? Like, you know, and, (laughs) and you just have to be like, we're on it. (laughs) Like nowhere. Like, Okay, thank you. And then and then have to relay that in. She says that they have all this stuff that she can't hear. He's just like, I'm busy. See, that's the best part of music <laughs> being a live performance. Yeah, yeah. That is by its very nature 
time limited. Yeah. It is like, regardless of what's going on, it's going to end in a couple minutes, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And it's like the people that are listening have no context of like the the fact that there is anything missing. They're just enjoying the band performing. So it's just, and she's like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) you know, I, I, I get very close. I was like, you know, I always fantasize about it after the fact where you're just like, you just, you're just snide back to them because what are they going to do? But well, the best is to look right at them and say, (laughs) I hear it. Oh yeah. That's it's there. (laughs) What you can't hear it. (laughs) The keyboards. They're there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The, the, uh, the, the harmonized vocals, Uh you know, the harmonizer vocals sounding like a, a demon. I hear it. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. I I did do one of those like so I at a uh, there was a Joe Squared show. I th- I'm pretty sure I remember where there was like a pretty undeniable ground hum in the, the, the PA. And you claimed you couldn't hear it. And I no, I was just well aware of it. So when someone points it out to me, I'm just like, I know. <laughs> like, yep. That's there. Like, I I think you have to grab <laughs> the bull by the horns and just deny it. <laughs> no, no, it's a, what a grounding hum. Oh no, no, yeah, could could never be. <laughs> and of course, immediately like look at the guitar player playing a Les Paul standard and and point at him and go, well, he's using single coil pickups. <laughs> And of course, they're humbucking pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, blame the musician. Number one racket in all of music. <laughs> Whose fault is it? Yeah, it's the musicians. Mm-hmm. Particularly for a sound man, that is a good strategy. Yeah, I will tell you though, when a DI box, when you do the ground lift, and that shit actually works, that's. And boop. Weirdly satisfying. You'll oh, of course. Because <laughs> then you're the man. Yeah, yeah. Then you fucking rule. They're just like, oh, that, that got it. So. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it, it, you're, you're bringing back like decades of trauma. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was not the intention. No, it's, just, it, it's just. Tell me about Dave Grohl, you know? <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm sorry. I love you, Joe. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a scream story. Okay. Yes, please. That's great. We'll end on that. <laughs> uh, my band from the Wayback Machine, Reptile House, played with Scream two or three times. Okay. But the the exceptional <laughs> the exceptional uh, aspect of that is their touring sound man was the house sound man at the nine thirty. Okay. And I remember loading into the club. Like literally wheeling the speaker cabinets <laughs> into the club. And he looks at me and says, turn down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go good, man. This isn't going to go good. 
we we had brought our sound man, Mark Straza, who at that point was kind of like a fifth member of the band. Yeah. And uh, he just stood there and we we do our sound check and we literally like got one note into the sound check. <laughs> and I could see <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. see hands above the sound man's head and 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 Straz uh, approached him and said, hey, man, I'll mix these guys if you like. And he's like, yeah, uh, take it away, baby. Take this problem off of my plate. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. How loud should a band be? I uh, Yeah, it's a good point. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I mean, loud enough that people can't talk over it. Or if they try to, they go home with a sore throat. I think that's loud enough right there. It's yeah. like, <laughs> like I have your attention. And if something else has your attention, uh, you're going to be struggling, yeah. you know? So there you, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's <laughs> tends to be how it came down at Joe squared, but usually most of that was out of my control. It just was the nature of things, you well, know? The, the beauty of that setup is was it, it 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 was it was minimalistic and there wasn't like a lot you could do. Yeah, it was just try and get the vocals above the rest of it, basically. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And in in a sense, you know, the bands were in uh in charge of their own fate. <laughs> you know? I would have waitresses come down and be like, hey, it's Sunday night and we have a bunch of old people upstairs trying to have a nice dinner. Could you turn this post hardcore band down? And it's just like, no, no, <laughs> there there's only a few levels of volume you can worship the devil at. And <laughs> I'm sorry, this is this is one of them. Menu <laughs> venues have always <laughs> been a like. A very odd marriage, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, I mean, all the way back to uh, Max's Kansas City in uh, New York. Okay. I yeah. mean, that they. Same kind of thing, like a restaurant yeah. that tried to have rock shows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, but you had Iggy Pop right. playing, you know? Yeah. And of course, there's probably people upstairs being like, who is this? This sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, um, wow. Yeah, isn't that weird to think that, like, Iggy... People just missing the boat, yeah. Iggy spent the first 10 years of his career pretty much being reviled by every, <laughs> everything in the music industry went, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Right. Fucking profound, I don't know. Yeah, who, uh... I, well, we'll wrap it in a second. Who made it? Who made it first? Alice Cooper or uh, Iggy and the Stooges? I guess Iggy's first. Right? Iggy's yeah. first, yeah. MC Five and Iggy, and then Cooper. E. Cooper actually moved to Detroit to be part of that scene. Oh, I see. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. they they went from Arizona to California. They did. The they went from Cali to Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was the other way around. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. No, the 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 bizarre records, the first uh Yeah, the the real weird one from like sixty eight. Pretties for you yeah. is uh 
pretty uh, uh, Bob Ezrin got involved. Yeah. Well, uh, Bob Ezrin got involved in the band and really sort of uh, yeah brought music to it. You know the 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 album uh, "Love It to Death." Yeah. Their third record is. Uh, I love that's. I love, I love that record. I, I, I used uh, a mastering engineer in Nashville, Randy Kling. And uh, when I started Merkin in, uh, God, 87, mastering a record was still a bit of a mystery. And in a, in a very real way, mastering lacquer has always been a bit of voodoo. There's a lot of art and 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 touch to it uh anyway long story short i went to nashville with the master for the first for the reptile house album and uh i walked into the reception area of this mastering studio and above the receptionist's uh desk was a gold copy of killer uh, yeah yeah the red by one. alice cooper yeah. and i'm like Oh my! <laughs> and it turned out that Randy had mastered the first five Cooper records, and he was good friends with Bob Ezrin. And uh, th- yeah, it was a good thing. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love the old. Kara uh, just got me. She went to L.A. She just got me an Alice Cooper, like the the original band like t-shirt it's got like the the band on it or whatever like you know or whatever but like, what are they doing it's not the it's, oh it's just a pose it's like i don't know it's like this is obviously a bootleg shirt but it's like they're just all like it's like the five original members on the on it or whatever right. but did like alice have the spade eyes or did he have the, the i gotta look the, at the, it again i think he probably did start squiggles, to have the you yeah. know <laughs> interesting yeah <clears throat> I love that the the yeah like you're saying the first four or five records with the full band like that stuff's maybe not all of it but it's like mo- uh, pretty awesome <laughs> so I was undeniably some of the most important music I listened to yeah uh, the uh, the songwriting was really there uh, it uh, yeah all of it is very deeply imprinted in me <laughs> it's in the dna yeah i feel it's that. just a go-to yeah it, it, it's so uh around october i start to get an alice cooper around halloween season ah uh, yeah even though like a lot of the music isn't even like horror themed when you think about that era of the band i still like contextualize it that way a little bit i think it was always you know it was uh one of the very first theatrical rock bands and what sort of theater was going on. Well, usually <laughs> oh, the, yeah, horror and, they were, yeah. you know, how many times in one set can Alice die? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, let's behead him, you know, uh, let's hang him, you know, the whole, the whole litany of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, electric chair, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. to. Yeah. I did hear a great story about the electric chair. Uh, From his stage show? Yeah. Okay. The um, Andy Warhol had one of his very most famous prints. It's a lithograph of uh, an electric chair. And he 
in the early 70s when Alice was getting electrocuted, and I can't remember what tour that was, but I'm thinking it was Billion Dollar Babies. Okay, yeah. Uh, which was... Which went number one, by the way. Which was kind of late in the thing. But anyway, Warhol gave him this painting, one of the original, you know, how the factory worked. It kind of sure. kicked out a, a limited number of originals. Uh, uh, once again, we're into the conceptualization of art and uh, is it an original or is it a clone and a duplicate? Well, of course, Warhol's conceptualization of the whole thing brought it to a whole new level where the clone was the original. Right. Okay. And anyway, so Warhol came to a Cooper show and gave him one of the originals. And I think it was Shep Gordon, uh, Alice's manager, was like, where'd that ever go to? That's, pro <laughs> that's probably worth some money, right? So they have, a, they have a storage facility that they keep all the old props from all the Cooper tours in, right? Yeah, sure. And somebody goes rifling around and finds a tube with the original... It's not Warhol. even framed. It's no, just it was in a. It was in the tube that Warhol gave it to Alice in. Sure. And the estimated worth of it is like twenty million dollars. Twenty million. Yes. What? It's an original Warhol. Right, but it's an original Warhol that like, I see what you're saying. But with the whole all of them were that way. That's the way Warhol's art okay, is. Okay. But still, it's just like. Million, million. That's crazy. Like I'm I don't sort even know of how pulling twenty million out of my ass, but I remember when I heard what it was worth. Sure, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like two or three million. It was like a complete fortune. I, I'm, I'm gonna back it down to fifteen million. I was say, I feel like there's fifteen, sixteen like, million. There's like rock stars guitars that aren't worth that much you know what i mean like well they never are i mean uh gary moore and peter green's les paul standard like even brian may's guitar which they say is priceless goes for like you know estimates five million something stupid like that you know what guitars I mean? are weird uh yeah I, I the 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 iconic peter green les paul yeah kirk hammond owns it now I saw that guitar. Uh, it, it was Gre at, greeny, it, right? That yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It, it was across the aisle at a guitar show from a booth I had with a, a DC vintage dealer, and at that point, the guitar, I think it had been purchased for around a hundred grand, and this British dealer wow, had it. Wow, that's crazy. It went for a cool million. Yeah. Yeah. And now who knows? I, I forget. I, I I heard Kirk Hammond on a podcast talk about it, I, and I forget how much he. I don't, actually he probably didn't say how much he spent. He got it at an auction. Well, the, the the interesting thing about that guitar is Peter Green took it apart to try and clean it. Uh huh. Broke. Oh, he fucked the, it up. The yeah. neck pickup. It's like phased out or something. Yes. Yeah. He he had it rewound with formalin wire instead of enamel wire which was 
right. fender wire because they're, you know, basically just wanted the damn thing to work. When the pickup got reassembled, the magnet got slid in backwards. So it was electronically and magnetically out of phase with the treble pickup and has a, well, just, you know, that. It's got a sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Like if any guitar is worth a million dollars, that one, <laughs> you yeah. know. It's like, yeah, you can't really replicate that on any record without this specific guitar. So, well, we're kind of back to, you know, the pimples on the supermodel's ass. Yeah, yeah. It is the imperfection that makes art art and not craft. Sure. If you're if if you're too good at it, then it's craft, isn't it? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, all right. Let's go eat. I think food is a good idea. Joe, thank you so much for hanging out. This was actually really awesome. So Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you. Absolutely. All right. Later, everybody. Bye.